Well, all right. How's everybody doing this evening? Good to see you. Welcome out. The smart people that came out on Saturday night, because you get an extra hour of sleep, right? You're like, daylight savings time, nothing. Last week, we started talking about this topic of technology and using technology and dealing with technology in our lives in a God-honoring way. You know, we live in a time and an age where it is easy to be distracted all the time. Isn't it easy to be distracted all the time? It's easy actually to hang out with your friends and not actually talk to them. Have you noticed this weird phenomenon? Uh, It's easy to have family dinner and not really ever connect with each other. And one of the biggest culprits we all know comes from something I think almost every one of you has in your hand right now or in your pocket, right? Comes from your smartphone, doesn't it? And here's the thing. We all probably know or have felt some twinge of guilt or have been scolded by our husband or wife recently uh, over the amount of time we spend on our phones, right? If you're anything like most Americans, in fact, you're, you're kind of addicted to your phone. This is one of those theories that it's like, you know, I'm preaching as much to me or more, right? Uh, this isn't me coming to you from a high horse and being like, I do this really well. You, you shouldn't do this when it comes to being distracted. I was writing this series and my wife's like, stop texting while we're playing a game. You're doing a series on this. That happened on Tuesday. But I've been much better since then. But here's the thing. Uh, We all know like we spend too much time on our phones, don't we? It's it's probably something we know or we feel at some point. But most of us actually don't know how much. And so if you're, um, you know, I'll start with teens in the room because you're easy to pick on. Uh, No, we're not going to pick on you. Actually, I'm going to pick on your parents in a minute. But for teens in the room, here's the thing. For teens and tweens, those are, you know, between 10 and uh, 13 or so. Here's some interesting things about smartphones. 53% of kids now have their own smartphone by age 11. By age 12, nearly 70% have their own smartphone. And U.S. teens spend an average of more than seven hours per day on a screen, on screen entertainment, that is. Uh, Tweens spend nearly five hours on average. That's the, the statistic. And that does not include school and homework, this book, if you want an interesting book, it's called iGen, right here. And it has some really interesting statistics in it. iGen are those in the room that were born. Uh, they were seniors in high school starting in about 2012, up through now. And so a lot of you, if you're in your 20s, you're in what's called the iGen generation. And here's some stats about iGen, because a lot of you, this is your kids that are growing up. They're teenagers right now. For iGen, the number of teens who get together with their friends every day has actually been cut in half in just 15 years. And most of that steep decline has come since we all got these. So the amount of face-to-face interaction with friends has gone way down. It says instead they are communicating electronically. Online friendship has replaced offline friendship. In fact, there's a quote in here from, from a guy named Kevin who was 17. He says, I feel like we don't party as much. People stay in more often. My generation lost interest in socializing in person. Some kids are too addicted to social media and games to interact with other people that are actually next to them. It's just kind of uh, the way this generation's 
grown up, right? But it hasn't meant more family time in our lives. In fact, um, a teenager, Athena, said this, I've seen my friends with their families. They don't talk to them. They just say, oh, okay, whatever, while they're on their phones. They don't pay attention to their family. Maybe that's a struggle in your house. If you're a teenager, maybe that's one of the things you fight with your parents about. I'm guessing, right? Now, here's some of the implications of this. And this is why it's such an important conversation. It's because here's what they're finding, and here's what we got to learn to manage in our lives. For iGen, generally, they found statistically they're less happy. And here's what iGen says. It says, teens who spend more time on screen activities are more likely to be unhappy, and those who spend more time on off-screen activities are more likely to be happy. There's not a single exception as they look at the statistics. All screen activities are linked to less happiness. So I think you want to be happy. You want your kids to be happy. This is something we can all agree on, right? Teens who visit social networking sites every day are actually more likely to agree, I often feel lonely, or I often feel left out of things, or I often wish I had more good friends. I don't think that's just something that you feel if you're a teen or in your 20s, do you? I know there's times you, you're on social media and you know, you're a grown-up, and you're like, well, I didn't get invited to that party. I thought I was their friend. Kind of has that effect on a lot of people. Depression. It says teens who spend more time on their screens are more likely to be depressed. And those who spend more time on off-screen activities are less likely to be depressed. Three or more hours a day on electronic devices, there's 35% higher risk when it comes to self-harm, which is crazy to think about. It says this, with teen brains so attuned to social rejection, texting, and social media are fertile grounds for negative emotions. You ever done that? You send a text off and you didn't get a text back? And see, this isn't just teenagers, is it? I mean, I consider myself a fairly, um, you know, I, I'm not like a real emotional dude, you know, but I found myself feeling ghosted and like anxious about it. And part of that's just that, you know, when you're interacting with somebody face to face and you have that conversation and, you know, they talk right back versus when you shoot out a text and, you know, they're busy doing something and it's like a day later. It's just the way it works, isn't it? Now, Adults, before you get all like on your high horse here, adults, I looked up the most recent stats on this. The average American spends about, this is adults, spend about 20 hours per week on their smartphone. Do you know what that adds up to in a year? 45 solid days. And that's just the average. Some of you, you're like, I'm A plus. I'm above average, right? 20 hours a week, crazy. Most, most of that time's on the most used apps, which are Facebook, Instagram, Reddit, YouTube, Safari. And here's what they say, and I think it's so funny. Just check this out. They said, it's no secret that Americans love their smartphones. This data proves in many places we're glued to them. When considering the amount of time that many people spend on their phones, we here at Simple Texting urge you to consider the importance of including SMS marketing in your overall customer relationship and marketing strategy. Isn't that funny? 
And here, here's how this plays out when it comes to adults in our lives. Um, also, they found adults are less happy in this book, iGen. said, the more people used Facebook, the, the lower their mental health and life satisfaction. After they interacted with their friends in person, their mental health and life satisfaction improved. It's almost like God created human beings to actually talk to each other. I don't know. I mean, I don't, I'm not, you know, like a brilliant researcher or anything, but it's almost like there's something that God created in us that actually thrives when we have genuine relationships. And we know with these things going off, buzzing, beeping, whirring, whatever the noise you have on it is, it's pretty easy to be distracted and not connect with those people who are right in the room, isn't it? In fact, one, that's one of the biggest things about these devices and about the amount of time we spend on, on this is we're just distracted. Another researcher said this, and I think this is really interesting too, and especially tune in for a second. If you're like type A, like to get it done, focused work, you know, accomplish things, this researcher says the grand total of usage might not be the biggest problem. So he did like a three-year study, and what he found was the thing that actually had the biggest impact was not just how much time you spent, but how often you checked your phone. And here's what they found. In the first year, people would check their phone 56 times a day, a screen time of about 3.6 hours. By the third year, they were checking their phone 77 times per day for a total time of 4.6 hours. Off of their phone for 10 minutes at the most. Grown-ups. Who scold your kids about being on their phones too much? He says it's a behavior that's driven by anxiety, and the technical name is nomophobia. Or for you younger iGen folks, the FOMO, right? Fear of missing out. And it's that little thing that just encourages you, just, you know, you're away from your phone and you're like, something might be happening. There might be an important tweet, there might be an important whatever, and you just pick it up, right? And you check it, or it dings, and you check it. And it's this fear of missing out, and it's driven by anxiety. And here's what's dangerous about that, is research shows um, this is called context switching. So if you want to work hard and get stuff done, one of the worst things you can do is be mentally focused on something and then switch to some, another task and then switch back. And I know some of you are like, I'm a good multitasker, but I'm sorry, the research shows that actually you're not as productive at whatever you're trying to get done or whatever mental focus you want to accomplish as you think you are. It says this, research shows even brief mental blocks created by shifting between tasks can cost as much as 40% of your productive time. That's pretty significant, isn't it? 40% of your productive time. So those are all things that, uh, you know, for adults, those are implications. But I think the biggest implication, the one I want to focus on this evening, is really one of the biggest things that our smart devices do is they pull us away from the, the relationships that matter the most. I mean, we live in an age where a lot of you have, you know, a thousand plus friends, some of you. I checked. I have like 1,100, right? I'm pretty popular. And some of you are more, right? But here's the, here's the truth. 
In the midst of that, many of us never spend focused quality time with the people who matter the most because we're constantly drawn away. Children's Magazine polled a bunch of kids and 62% of kids aged 6 to 12 said their parents are distracted when trying to talk to them. They're distracted by their cell phones. And see, here's something interesting about this is the distraction for us often comes from people who aren't really even core relationships. Have you noticed that? That a lot of the distraction when it comes to technology in your life is not with people that you would consider core in your life. If you're honest, it's not really the work text coming in at 7 or 8. Now, sometimes it is, right? And sometimes you got to take it. But here's something about those that are probably in their 20s, early 20s and, and under in the room. is for the most part, if you're, you're in that group, you use technology to connect with people who are your close friends, right? Core people, people you end up seeing on a daily basis. Now, for those of us that are a little bit older, if we're real honest, social media and, and that kind of thing primarily is a bunch of people that we really, to say acquaintance, that might be a stretch for some of them, right? Okay, maybe acquaintance, but not core friends, right? And so you know what your boss is cousin that you met one time at that party, you know, you know that what their kid, new cat's name is. That's useful information. <laughs> but really, here's the thing. These relationships aren't even core, right? These relationships aren't even core. And before you know it, what can happen is you begin to distance yourself from relationships that are closest to you, the people in your life that you're called to love and connect with in the deepest way. And it's because you're distracted. You're just distracted. You're drawn away, right? And so really what we're going to talk about today is not really just tech. What we're going to talk about is relationships, and how to have meaningful relationships and deep connection. And how to be people that understand that, that you and I, we have a limited amount of time and a limited amount of relational energy. And one of the best examples of how we should interact when it comes to relationships in our life and when it comes to our limited amount of time is the example of Jesus. Last summer, we preached all the way through the book of Luke. Actually, no, over two years, we preached all the way through the book of Luke. We just finished it last summer. And so what's cool is we're going to take a minute and we're going to do sort of a flyover Jesus life and pull some of those nuggets of truth that maybe we, we saw or we missed along the way about Jesus and his interactions with those who were core in his life and the way he chose to use his time and his resources when it came to relationships. And here's what's so cool about this. If you're here and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, if you follow the example of Jesus, it will help your life. Even if you don't believe in him, even if you don't believe in the claims, following Jesus is the best way to do life. It's the best way to do life. It'll make your life better. It'll make you better at doing life. And so that's cool. But if you are a follower of Jesus, you better pay attention because he is our example and he should inform the way we, we live our life when it comes to our relationships. And so we'll start out at Luke chapter 4 and verse 40. And Jesus' goal is to make it to Jerusalem. But in this phase of the ministry, he's in Galilee, the northern part of Israel. And he's ministering all over in this region. And it says this, at sunset, the, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sicknesses. And laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people shouting, you are the son of God. 
But he rebuked them and, they, and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was Messiah. And so at this point in time in Jesus' ministry, nobody really knew who he was. There was rumors that he's the Messiah, but nobody really knew who Jesus was except the demons. They knew exactly who he was. And Jesus hushed them because he knew if the news got out of who he was at this point, it would fast track the whole thing. And he wasn't ready for that to happen yet. In verse 42, so Jesus is super popular. He is in demand as a teacher, in demand because he has this incredible healing power that flows out of him and everybody wants to get to Jesus, right? Verse 42, at daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him, but when they came to the place where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. And so what do we see Jesus doing here at this point in his ministry? They come and they, they want to come find him. They want to keep him from leaving because, hey, we got a bunch of more people over here. We, we, want, to, we, we want healed. Jesus, you're such a great teacher. We want to hear more from you. That's kind of ego boosting, right? Of course, he's Jesus, isn't he? And here's the thing that's significant about this is he, he knows, he's on task, he's on target. I must. He knows that he has a job to do. He knows he has a place to be. And he says, I must keep on mission and on task. That there's a role that I'm called to in this time that I have on earth. And I need to fulfill this role that I'm called to. I must proclaim the good news. And see, Jesus is fully God and Jesus is fully man. God in a bod. And being God in a bod, being fully God and fully man simultaneously, uh, he understands that as a human, he has limitations, right? That he has a limited amount of time available to him and available to connect with those that he's been called to connect to. And so he says, I, I'm going to stay on task. I'm going to stay on mission. I must fulfill the ministry that I have. I have to get to Jerusalem. That's his goal, ultimately. I have to get to Jerusalem because there is the final goal. There is where I'll rise from the grave. And that's what will start this whole thing, the church that we're still part of 2,000 years later. And so you also see that Jesus went to a solitary place. And this is a common theme in Jesus' life. He has boundaries in his life. Luke 5.16 says this, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. He often withdrew. And see, when we talk about technology and some of the, the things we're going to close with here today, um, it, it's, not a tech, it's not about saying no to something for the sake of saying no to something. It's about beginning to place boundaries into place that he knew to accomplish what I need to do, there are times when I need to withdraw, when I need to unplug, when I need to get away from all the distractions, even though there's a lot of good things I could be doing right now. Even though there's always one more Email that I need to send. I doubt that that wasn't his problem. Even though there's always one more person to be healed. Now that was a good, I mean, you know, we make excuses about emails and, and you know, reports and stuff, right? But Jesus, I mean, there were a ton of people that needed to be healed. 
That's a good thing. And Jesus knew I need to have boundaries in place. Even if it's good things, I need to have boundaries in place and know when I need to withdraw and when I need to unplug in order to connect to the things that God is calling me to do. There's things that I can't do. I can't do this over here because God is calling me to do that over there. That's what I must do. So to keep going through the story, Jesus is walking along and he's doing ministry all along the way. And he's uh, completing the ministry in Galilee and getting ready to, to go to Jerusalem. And it says this, and this is really interesting. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray. And he spent the night praying to God. And when morning came, he called his disciples to him. He had a fairly large group of people that kind of followed him around, learned from his teaching. And he calls them together. And he, he says he, he went out overnight, he prayed on the mountain, and then he chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. So he has the 12. So he has a larger group of disciples. We'll see that in a little bit. Um, he sends later, he'll send 72 out. But then out of that, he chooses, he knows he can't connect to all those people to accomplish what he wants to accomplish. And so he chooses 12 people. 12 disciples to be his apostles, to be the ones who will launch this kingdom of God movement, this church uh, that he is about ready to plant that will take the message of the gospel into all the nations. He chooses 12. And out of those 12, this is cool. Out of those 12, he has 12, right? But out of those 12, there's three who are really core. There's three. And let's see if anybody knows their names. Peter, James, and John, right? Peter, John, and James. And so in Luke 9, 28, it says this. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Now imagine being Peter, James, and John during this experience. These guys are probably young men. This is like the coolest weekend retreat you've ever been on. I mean, you've had some cool, if you've, if you've not, you know, you, you youth, you've been to Whiteout, right? And it was amazing. This is like that times, you know, 70 or 100 or whatever. I don't know. This is that. This is amazing. These guys are up there. And to make it even better, check this out. They're talking to Jesus. All of a sudden, Jesus starts just glowing. And um, it's like the, the fabric between the, you know, what it separates the dimension of earth and heaven is split, right? And they're witnessing this. And it said, then two men, Moses and Elijah, who had lived, walked this earth well over, you know, I mean, Elijah probably, what, like 800, seven, uh, maybe 900 years before this, Right? Moses, 1,500 years earlier. All of a sudden, Moses and Elijah appeared in glorious splendor talking to Jesus. They spoke about his departure. And since we're taking a break from our Exodus series, literally the word is his exodus, which is a really cool tie-in. We'll talk about that more in Exodus as we go along. They spoke about his exodus, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. 
And so Jesus knows he's on his way to Jerusalem. He has a job to do, which will end in Jerusalem. But along the way, he chooses 12 who will be his core guys. And then he chooses three of those who will really be the core of the core. Who he will, he will let experience some really deep things with him. And one of them is this absolutely incredible moment we know as the Mount of Transfiguration where their eyes are just open to who Jesus, like the splendor of who Jesus is. It's so amazing. He tells them, hey, hey guys, don't tell anybody about this until after the resurrection, which they didn't, totally didn't get, right? But this was that kind of a moment. It was, it was the highest of highs. Then we see in Luke 9, 51, it says this. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. He resolutely set out. He knew, I have a job to do. I have somewhere to go. I can't do this over here because I have to do this over here. I have a tomb to walk out of. I got to make it to Jerusalem. Continuing on, Luke 10, 1. After this, the Lord appointed, how many? 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of them, ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. So, now he's got from his larger group that kind of follows him, he chooses a, a larger group. But he knows, I can't connect with these, these guys in the same way as I connect with the 12, and I can't connect with the 12 in the same way as I connect with the three. He understood boundaries in his ministry and boundaries in his life. He understood where, he, where the most strategic place was that he could invest his time and his energy and his relational capital, right? He understood these things. And so he has all 72 and he's connecting to them, but really he's connecting with the 12. These are the guys that are with him. And then he's connecting out of that with the three. And so he's on his way to Jerusalem in Luke chapter 17. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. He's on his way. He's got to get there. This is where he's heading. And he gets to Jerusalem, and this last little passage we'll look at is recorded in the other Gospels as well. And um, after this incredible night at the Last Supper, they go out, and they go to the Garden of Gethsemane, because Jesus knows what's coming. And he knows that the cross is coming. And even though it's his mission, and even though it's, it's the thing he came to do and, and accomplish, and the thing he resolutely set his face towards, yet... Oh man, he knows this is going to be the hardest thing that anyone in the history of the world has ever walked through. And so he, they go out in the garden and from there he selects, out of, the, out of the 12, he selects again the three, the core. And he invites them in to experience with him what will be his lowest of loves. And it says this in Luke twenty-two forty-two, Father, Jesus goes out and he prays, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. And an angel of heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in what? In anguish. This is the lowest of lows. Being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. And in this moment, Jesus brings the three with him. And he says, you've experienced the highest of high moments. 
And now I want to bring you with me to experience the, the lowest of low with me. And he chooses the three, not the 12, not the 72. He, he knows who he needs to connect to in the moment. He knows who is priority in his life. He understood boundaries. He understood what he was called to do. And, and that meant that the fact that he was called to do this over here necessarily meant he couldn't do this over here, even when this was a good thing, even when it was a good thing. He understood boundaries. And I heard this quote. I don't know where the original source is. I tried looking it up, but I thought it was really interesting. And that's this. The only difference between a river and a swamp is a boundary. How many of you have ever been in a swamp? We used to go down to swamps and try to collect frogs. Those were more ponds, though, right? Have you ever found, I remember this swamp up on Grand Mesa where the water just kind of flows in and then just sits up on there, and it's just nasty. It's just a mosquito breeding ground. You know, mosquitoes are like as big as your pinky and come flying out of there to attack you, and it stinks. See, the boundaries that surround a river are what channel it to bring the water, to bring life where it needs to go, Right? Swamp just sort of flows out there. Swamp breeds disease. And Jesus understood a life that had boundaries in place. And for you and for me, we need to understand that our time and our energy and our resources are limited. You have to make choices about what you do with your time and your energy and your resources, right? And here's the, th the thing is technology has really blurred the lines for us between what what friends are and what friends aren't, right? Hadn't it? I mean, come on. You all used to have friends, and now you have a thousand of them, and yet I'm guessing you might not have anyone to help you move if you wanted to move next weekend, right? I don't have a truck. Don't call me. <laughs> Isn't that true for some of you? For many, that's the, that's the state of, of friendship in our, in our world for many, isn't it? You got all sorts of people you know. But, but when you're going through something in life, how many people do you have that you can actually pick up the phone and call and talk, talk about it with? And I think especially for, for those that maybe are younger in the room, that's su such a great goal is to develop those kind of friendships. Those are the kind of friendships that are going to stick with you, right? Those, that's the goal, to develop those kind of friendships. I know some of you that are a little older in the room, man, you've got some great friendships, some of you have developed those strong bonds, right? But technology has blurred the lines between what we call friends. It's blurred boundaries in our life, hasn't it? It's blurred the boundaries between work and home, hasn't it? Year one device goes off at all hours, and it's blurred the boundaries. It's not like it used to be if you grew up and remember a time, if you're really old, right? Remember a time before cell phones, where somebody actually had to call you at work or at home, and your work friends didn't have your home friend number, right, Watson? Yeah. It's blurred boundaries, hasn't it? And see, here's the thing. As, as followers of Jesus, uh, man, are we anti-technology? No, I told you last, last week. Technology was just, it's the bricks 
of our day, right? The bricks of our day. We, we talked about the, the brick. That was a big technology a couple thousand years ago. Phones, the phone technology is neutral. It's not good or bad. It's just a tool. But when the tool begins, when we begin to be a slave to the tool and it begins to rob our relationships that matter the most, it begins to rob time and focus and energy and attention from those relationships, then we're no longer the ones in control and it's no longer serving us, is it? And so there's three things that if you want to write down, I just want you to write down when it comes to this topic. And the first one is this. These are, these are three steps. The first one is this, is disconnect to connect. Disconnect to connect. You got to disconnect from some of the tech in your life and some of the availability that you've given yourself to the tech in your life in order to connect with those who matter most in your life, right? Jesus gets alone, he powers off, he spends time with God, and then we see him getting even away from the good things, going out and doing good things, or you know the important things, the urgent things, in order to connect with the three, right? Or to connect with the 12. He has these, these boundaries in place that allow him to focus on what really matters most in the moment. And isn't it true that, that social media and devices tend to pull us into relationships that are more shallow? That for many of us, it's just the case, isn't it? That much of the time you spend on here does nothing to build deep or deepen relationships in your life. It's just mindless. Or it's cat videos, which I'm not sure where they fall in the whole thing. But it is, isn't it? Much of it. And there's time, there comes a time in your life where you need to decide that I'm going to have blocks of time. I'm going to disconnect in order to connect to the relationships that matter the most to me. I need to direct my energy and time to those things that matter most. Do you have a time in your house when you as you know, maybe a parent or you as a, a teenager or you as you know, a 20-year-old, do you have any time in your house where you try to disconnect from tech in order that you can actually connect face-to-face with people in your life that matter the most to you? You got to disconnect to connect. And man, like I said, I, I'm not telling you this because I do a great job of this. This is hard, isn't it? Because these little things are addicting. And, and the more you use them, the less you like to be bored. Have you noticed that when somebody talks and, and they start to like just be just a little boring, you just pick this up? When your kid goes into, you know, the 35th second about his Star Wars video, you're like... Not you, just me. <laughs> but it's really easy, isn't it? It's really easy to be distracted, to, to not... To, it's really easy to be really wide with your relationships but not have any boundaries and not go deep with anyone, isn't it? That's something social media tends to, to cause us to do. Do you have a time when you disconnect from tech in order to con- connect? The second thing is this, value real relationships. Value real relationships. That your higher value should be really real relationships with each other. 
in interaction with each other. Now, I understand for some actually texting and stuff, you're, you're actually building relationships. And like I said, the, the younger you are, the more you tend to use technology and texting and things to connect to people that you're actually interacting with on a daily basis, right? But we, we need to build this value in, in our hearts and our minds that what's important to us is real relationships. This isn't about like, hey, Christians are anti-technology. Are you kidding but what we want to be for is pro, we want to be for deep, meaningful relationships, right? And I'm t- just telling you, all the research shows that the less time we spend face-to-face and the less we, we get to actually focus and interact with each other, the less happy we are, the more depressed we are, and the less depth of relationships we have. And that, is, that isn't good for anybody. And some of you know that. Some of you are more anxious than you've ever been. Some of you t- took a social media break for a while, right? Or you, you just, you, you did a fast for a while, and it, you actually felt a lot better, didn't you? Now, I'm not saying that, that maybe that's what you need to do. I don't know. But I'm saying it's important to have that value that real relationships are more important to me. That I want to I value the relationships in front of me. I want to experience real life with real people. I want to be fully present in the moments that I'm in. And let me just talk about something that ties into this. And that's, um, as you all know, um, the darker side of the internet, internet pornography is is a terrible problem, right? And here's the thing that's more damaging about this than just the morality around it. It's not just a, a morality issue that it's actually what happens with this is people get desensitized to real relationships. And the, and the more individuals, doesn't men or women, use that, the more desensitized and numb to real relationships they become. And so it's not just an issue of right or wrong or your relationship with God, although it damages your relationship with God, right? It's not just an issue of that. It's an issue of the fact that it's just not real. And when that thing, when fantasy becomes a thing that is primary, it actually damages your ability to connect on a long-term basis with reality and what is real in your life. That's why it's such a big deal, such a big thing to, to get a handle on if that's something you struggle with. The third thing is this, create healthy boundaries. Create healthy boundaries. And so no matter where you're at, boundaries are something that can be really helpful. See, boundaries, we think of boundaries as uh, things that hem us in. But have you ever driven over Red Mountain Pass? Yeah, there's spots you wish you had guardrails, right? Guardrails and boundaries are there for your own good and your own protection. If you're a young person in the room, when your parents give you some boundaries, they're there because they care about you and they want to help you live and thrive in life, right? And so there's some, you got to establish some rules, some limits, some time in your week when you put devices down. You got to build that into your weekly life. We try to put these away during all meal times, right? No tech at the meal. Why? 
Because we really, we know statistically, that's one of the best things you can do for the health of your family and your relationships is eat, eat a meal together and actually talk to each other. So we try to make that a priority. Put these things away, right? You gotta create healthy boundaries. For some of you, you might need to turn off some notifications on this thing. Or power it down. I know how terrifying that sounds, right? <laughs> yeah, but some of you need to turn off some notifications because every time that thing goes beep or ding, whatever, whatever person in the room, here's what happens. When, when your phone goes ding and you immediately ignore whoever's in the room, like your kid, the thing you're communicating to them is that whoever is not in the room is more important than you who are in the room. And some of you, you need to just turn off some notifications on your phone. Do you really need to know every time somebody likes your Instagram post? It's just creating anxiety in your life. As an adult, there's filters and there's things. We're going we're gonna to do a podcast too because some of your kids are dealing with some serious stuff. And uh, Pastor John and myself, we're going to do another podcast. I don't know if you got a chance to listen to our long podcast from this last week that we also did as a follow-up to the message. But we're going to do a podcast about really helping walk through some of these tools and then some advanced steps for helping your family um, really be online more safely. If uh, you're interested in that, you can, by Wednesday, that should be up, and you can go check that out. But as, as, a, as a parent, one of the best wedding gifts you can give to your, your son or daughter and to their future spouse is to put some boundaries in place, to put some safeguards in place, to not bury your head in the sand and pretend that your, your kid's not been exposed to that or not struggling with that. Because statistics are that they are, right? At a very young age, usually nine to 10 years old is when some of this stuff starts first happening. And so to put some of these boundaries into place is a step that you can take for the health and the safety of your family, that they would thrive, that they would go on to have strong relationships. Boundaries are good. Boundaries keep from creating swamps, right? Boundaries are helpful. And some of you need to create some of those. And some of you need to understand that having boundaries or filters or having rules like, hey, we don't sleep with phones next to our bed or in our rooms, some of those things are, are rules that even though they're like, ah, that's a bummer. That's, that, that's going to be hard, especially for some grown-ups in the room, right? Because that thing's the first thing you look at when you wake up, the last thing you look at before you go to bed. When you wake up in the night and you can't sleep. Some of you, you need to help put some boundaries into place for the sake of your family, don't you? For the sake of your relationships. So those three things. And here's the thing. Why is this so important? Well, part of it, if you're a teenager, um, here's one thing you got to understand. Um, you, don't, you haven't developed yet the ability to really assess risk. This is just a scientific fact. It doesn't happen for most people. Men, it happens a lot later, which is why guys do a lot of dumb things. But for guys, it really doesn't happen until you're like 25, right? Girls, a little bit sooner. So when your parents see some dangers coming down the road that you don't necessarily see, and you can't necessarily assess the risk yet, and it's not your fault, you just haven't lived that long yet. And so when your parents put some boundaries in place, 
know they love you and they're doing it for your good, right? And know, um, there's another thing, man. Have you noticed that it's easier not to eat ice cream if it's not in your house? <laughs> and, and one of the best things you can do is make, make decisions when you're at your strongest, right? Not when you're at your weakest. And that's where boundaries come into play when it comes to tech. And so that little packet that you're going to get on the way out has a few of those tools. If you want, well, like I said, we're going to record another podcast this week and post that on our podcast by Wednesday um, afternoon. And so you can hit that up and listen. We'll, we'll do a deep dive on some things and talk about routers and some interesting stuff too on there uh, for you because John will. And I'll just comment and go, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> Because it's helpful stuff and it's important stuff. And the real reason is, and we want to be people as disciples of Jesus. Um, we believe that there'll be a time when, when essentially when we give an account for our lives, right? And I don't know about you, but when I stand in front of my Savior, I don't want, I don't, I don't know that there's a highlight reel or anything like that. I don't know how that all works. But if there is, I don't want the highlight reel to be this the whole time. Well, I ignore my wife and my kids, and everyone in the room, right? I want to know that I've, I've invested in the relationships that, that Jesus has entrusted me with. And I hope that's what you want as well. So would you stand with me? I'm just going to pray for you, and we're going to throw a slide up here. And so these, on our website, if you go there, you can actually download those. Or if you, you don't want to bother, you can just walk up here and take a picture of one of these, and put it on the lock screen of your phone. And if you don't know how to do that, ask your kids or your grandkids. <laughs> They'll help you. Just to remind you one of these things, like, hey, how, why don't you put me down and connect with someone with the pulse? Or maybe, maybe for you, you know, it's posting on social media, and it, it, it's just what it does inside of you. Or browsing the internet, and you just need to be reminded of Philippians, whatever's true, honorable, right, pleasing to God. Pure, good, excellent, worthy of praise. Before you do any of these things, think on these things, right? One of these maybe is where you're at and you just need to put this on your phone or put it somewhere where it'll remind you of this. One of the best things you can do, especially if you're obsessive about checking this thing, as most Americans are, 70-some times a day. If that's you, you can be reminded of that when you pick it up. And it's a great little tool, a great little way to start getting a handle on this and just reminding yourself, hey, when I get to the end of the, my life, what do I want my life to be filled with? You know, the, the, the moments you spent scrolling this, young people, pay attention. The moments you spent scrolling on social media, you will never remember when you're 30 or 40. All those cat videos, I'm just telling you, they were, they're funny, I know. But they're not the memories you're going to go look back and go, you remember when? You're going to remember those relationships you connected with deeply. Those amazing times you had with those people that you were connecting deeply with. Those people you got to influence for Jesus because of that. Don't you want your life to be filled with that? I do. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for my friends. And Lord, I just want to pray that, uh, that for each one, you would just give them, uh, whatever their step is, Lord, you would give them the courage to take it in their life, Lord. Thank you. I just pray um, that you would just give them the ability to, to, to reach out if they need to get some help around this. 
or some counseling. You'd give them the courage to do that, Lord. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.